Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. North and South chapters 36 to 39. Now, um, Margaret and her father go back to see Nicholas Higgins and his daughter and there's some sad news which really shakes Nicholas in that Boucher has committed suicide, um, driven really by the fact that he's outcast by the union and he cannot find work anywhere else. Um, and so there's a lot of pathos for the family of Boucher, his his widow and the children, um, and the, the fact that really Boucher sort of fell between both of the the people who could possibly help him um and nicholas does admit you know um that the union has to trample on daisies occasionally to plow the field um using a metaphor um nicholas stands by the union he says i'm a member of the union i think it's the only thing to do the workman any good um once in the union his interests are taken care on better nor he could do it for himself it's the only way working men can get their rights by all joining together more the members more chance for each one separate man having justice done him um but with the sort of actual physical presence of Boucher's dead body being um bared up on a a door that someone's used as a makeshift stretcher in the street the the contrast of what happens to that one man um with higgins's kind of perspective is is really jarring and i think gaskell is not saying that higgins is wrong um but i think she is drawing attention to the very real predicament of r- a real human face and so she's not just abstractly talking about the problem of poverty she through the character of boucher she gives it a name she gives it a face um and you can see the the contrast in the shifts of power. Um, Nicholas says the union is a great power. It's our only power. Um, and so we're seeing the impact of that power on this one man's life. Um, he is called the Judas. He's betrayed them. Um, and he went to Hampers and asked for work. Um, and when he was refused, um, Nicholas says the traitor cried like a babby. Um, and so there's that real pathos of this this man who's got no alternative. Now, um, Margaret, again, is is the last man standing, as it were, because no one else wants to tell Mrs. Boucher what's happened. So Margaret goes um, and Margaret can see the difficulty now of this situation. Now, Nicholas decides to take it upon himself to make sure that Boucher's children are looked after because Nicholas feels responsible for Boucher's suicide. Um, And uh, Boucher uh, has obviously left his family in a terrible situation and they were hard up to begin with anyway. So um, Nicholas tells the hails of his situation that he's been looking for work desperate for work and he can't get work anywhere else either um and so margaret suggests to him to go to thornton uh, margaret believes enough in thornton's sense of justice and fairness that um she believes that he will give nicholas a chance um and the irony is when margaret 
makes this recommendation, she's actually convincing Higgins not to go to the South. Um, Higgins has got this kind of idealistic idea that if he goes south, food is cheap, wages good, all the folk rich and poor, master and man, friendly like. And Margaret says to him straight, you must not go to the south, you could not stand it, you would not bear the dullness of life, it would eat you away like rust. Um, and she tells him straight that there are negatives to the lifestyle in the south as well. And Nicholas's comment is quite profound. He says, north and south have each gotten their own troubles. For sure, the world is in a confusion that passes me or any other man to understand. And I love the way that Gaskell puts these really wise statements in the mouth of Nicholas, this working class person who actually understands the world better than the academic Mr Hale, who's too abstract to really be able to help Boucher's wife, for example, when he tries to comfort her after Boucher's death. Now, um, Higgins doesn't expect any good to come of his application to Thornton. Um, he says there'll be more chance of getting milk out of a flint. Um, and he refuses to get Mr. Hale to write to Thornton on his behalf. Um, he, he wants to speak to him uh, man to man, as it were. Um, and Thornton is still sore about what's happened with Margaret and the fact that she's got this lover um, and there's this this contrast um, between Frederick and Thornton because he sees Frederick as a dark, slight, elegant, handsome man um, while he himself was rough and stern and strongly made um, and so Thornton is still tortured really by the fact that she's chosen someone else who's perhaps the opposite of him um, and to compound this his mother has now found out about Miss Hale being seen at night with this man at the station um, and whilst Thornton doesn't tell his mother the, the particulars and the ins and outs um, of the situation as far as he knows she decides um, that is her duty because of the promise she made to Mrs Hale to go and set Margaret straight on her conduct. Um, now, what's interesting is that um, Mrs Thornton said, you would not have approved of Fanny's being seen out after dark in rather a lonely place walking about with a young man. And Thornton says, I see a great deal of difference between Miss Hale and Fanny. I never knew Fanny have weighty reasons for anything. And so he's more inclined to believe Margaret's character than perhaps even of his own sisters um, and he says I know that something is wrong um, but obviously he doesn't know the details and he doesn't know exactly what so Mrs Thornton says I shall speak to her as I would do to Fanny if she'd gone gallivanting with a young man in the dusk um, and Thornton's left to torture himself with thoughts like you know Margaret couldn't you not have loved me I am but uncouth and hard but I would never have led you into any falsehood for me um, and so Mrs Thornton goes to Margaret and ironically Margaret here is is kind and gentle to her because she feels a sense of wanting her to like her again um, and um, when Mrs Thornton tells her that she was indiscreet um, and if she acts like this it must degrade her in the estimation of the world um, Margaret 
instantly riles against this uh, as an as a complete insult against her character that Mrs Thornton would feel the need to say such a thing. Um, Mrs Thornton sort of uses it as an opportunity to, to get all her grievances with Margaret out in the open and she says, Mr Thornton has told me nothing, you do not know my son. Um, listen, young lady, that you may understand if you can what sort of a man you rejected. Um, and she sort of gives Margaret the opportunity to explain herself and her conduct. But Margaret says, I can give you no explanation. And she refuses to compromise Frederick's position by um, talking about Frederick. Um, as she leaves, Mrs Thornton comments to herself, she might be bold, but she'd never be giddy. Now as to Fanny, she'd be giddy, but not bold. She's no courage in her. And so Mrs Thornton sees that contrast between Fanny and Margaret as well. Now, um, Higgins has come to see Thornton and he waits hour after hour to speak to him. Um, and when he finally gets an audience to explain the situation about supporting Boucher's children, Thornton dismisses him saying, it's a very unlikely story. Um, and when he says that he's been referred to Thornton by a woman, Thornton remarks, tell her to mind her own business. I believe women are at the bottom of every plague in this world. And of course, he's saying this particularly because he's um, been unlucky in love at this point in time. Um, and Higgins comments quite ironically, um, I'm obliged to you for all your kindness, Master, most of all for your civil way of saying goodbye. Um, and then Thornton finds out that he's been there for five hours. And having found that out, Thornton realises that he's done an injustice to this man. And he then goes to find out more about the situation. Um, and and goes to find him later on. But in the meantime, Margaret's conversation with Mrs Thornton, his mother, uh, makes Margaret realise that Thornton believes Frederick to be her lover. Um, and she realises the misunderstanding that has happened. And it's this realisation that really crystallises Margaret's consciousness and awareness of her own love for John Thornton that has been building up so gradually. Um, she says, he, he must take poor, poor Frederick for some lover. Why do I care what he thinks beyond the mere loss of his good opinion as regards my telling the truth or not? I have passed out of childhood into old age. I shall never marry. I am weary of this continual call upon me for strength. It is hard to feel how completely he must misunderstand me, how proudly and impertinently I spoke to him that day. It has come upon me little by little, and I don't know where it began. And so finally she's aware of her own feelings for Thornton, just at this point where they seem further apart than ever. Um, and just in time as she goes to see Nicholas, she finds out, that Thornton refused to give him work. She, she says, I'm sorry I asked you to go to Thornton's. I'm disappointed in him, just as Thornton walks into the room to see Nicholas himself. Um, and so um, Margaret then goes off to see Mrs. Boucher and Thornton realises his error. Um, it says, he was equally desirous that all men should recognise his justice and he felt that he had been unjust in giving so scornful a hearing to anyone who'd waited with humble patience for five hours to speak to him. Um, and so he, he says, I spoke to you about these children in a way I had no business to do. I did not believe you. I could not have taken care of another man's children myself if he'd acted towards me as I hear Boucher did towards you. I know now that you spoke truth. I beg your pardon. 
Higgins doesn't um, want to beg and scrape and says, he's dead and I'm sorry, that's enough. Will you take work with me? John asks. Higgins says, you called me impudent and a liar and a mischief maker. I called you a tyrant, an old bulldog and a hard, cruel master. Master, do you think we can ever get on together? Um, And Thornton says, we neither of us can think much worse of the other than we do now. Uh, And then they shake hands and he gives him his hand a good grip. And this really is a turning point in the novel because for so much of the novel, we've seen the masters and the men at loggerheads, despite their mutual interest, um, each fighting the other for supremacy and authority. And here in Thornton shaking Higgins's hand, Higgins sort of representing the union and the strike, Thornton representing the masters and hard work and graft. Um, Here we have the beginning of of a turning point now where there's going to be some reconciliation. And perhaps it leads us to hope then that even though Margaret and Thornton are so estranged at this point, that a similar reconciliation will be able to occur for them too. Now, um, after this incident, um, he catches up with Margaret and it, it gives him an opportunity to ask her really to clarify her situation of what he saw that night at the station. Um, the reason that he brings this up is that she mentions the truth um, and he says very few people do speak the exact truth um, and sort of asked her what, what really happened, but she was she's silent. So he says, your secret is safe with me. Margaret says, I cannot explain it without doing him harm. And then Thornton just says, I see we are nothing to each other and walks off. And Margaret is left with this wild, strange, miserable feeling that, again, she's had this opportunity to explain herself and she's not felt able to. Um, she is hoping to visit the Lennoxes when they return to Harley Street and sort of try to recapture the old, well-ordered, monotonous life that she's lost. But she can't forget Thornton. And so we're left with this sense of this unresolved situation um, that we really want to see resolved by the end of the novel. If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Teach Me Lit. I'm always open to requests, so if you want me to talk about a text you're studying, get in touch. Thank you for listening. See you next time on the Teach Me Lit podcast.